Oh, hey, we're talking to uh, George Duran. Uh, initially, we were talking to him about Folio's cheese wraps, but then it started expanding, and it turns out that he's kind of the universal brand manager for all kinds of products that we love. <laughs> Welcome to On the Menu, George. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, well, I mean, all these wonderful brands, I mean, how did you get connected with all of them? We love the cheese wraps, Mighty Sesame Company, Peter adores that, the Wonder Melon and Beatology drinks. Um, how did, tell me your story, George, is what I'm really asking. Well, my story can go on and on forever. Is this a five-hour show by any chance? Because I can talk <laughs> forever, too. Um, you know, a lot of these brands, what's interesting about these brands that I work with and I'm brand ambassador with is that I already own these brands. I was very passionate about these brands, and I constantly look for unique items when I go to the supermarket that are going to make my life easier or better in many ways, if it's nutritionally or saving me time or feeding the kids. Um, I look for all of these. And incredibly enough, throughout my entire life, I've been so lucky to be able to um, partner up with a lot of these brands and work with them to promote because I am genuine about what I, what I love uh, in terms of a lot of these products and food in general, of course. So something like the Folios cheese wrap. Imagine a pressed uh, little thin slice of round cheese, almost like the size of a tortilla, but it's made 100% with cheese and it's divided with wax paper. You kind of pull one out uh, from the other cheeses and then you can literally use it as a like a tortilla wrap, but it's literally just cheese. cheese. So now you have practically zero carbs that you're consuming if it's like a little sandwich, a pinwheel, a turkey, whatever you want to put it in there. Um, but it goes beyond that because what I learned through that is that you can actually microwave this piece of cheese, this thin slice of folios cheese, and it will crisp up in about a minute. And you have a few seconds to kind of shape it to something like a taco shell, a taco bowl, um, pigs in a blanket. I mean, they crisp <laughs> up to beauty. And now you have like this other, this very unique and very incredibly creative way of using cheese in your own kitchen. And, and you have different cheeses involved. Tell us about those. That's the beauty of folios, correct. They have cheeses like Parmesan, Jarlsberg, cheddar, even mozzarella. So you can kind of uh, mix and match to the cuisine you're working with. Usually with the Italian uh, foods, uh, I tend to use mozzarella and Parmesan. Uh, something you want milder, nuttier cheese, you use Jarlsberg. And, of course, anything Tex-Mex-ish, uh, like a taco bowl, for example, um, I use the folios cheddar wrap. And, again, it's something like you pop it in the microwave, a minute later you take a bowl that's upside down, you place that kind of semi-hot cheese on top of it because it's not like melting, it's just bubbling a little bit. So you carefully place it and you kind of shape it to the size of the, the bowl itself. Yeah. And when you put it right side up, you've got a, a bowl that you can literally eat. And I've served salads, like Caesar salads and the Parmesan uh, folios bowls, and people are just loving it. They just sit down and my kids finally eat their salads because they can eat the bowl too. <laughs> now, now, George, all, all, this, all this is happening in Venezuela? 
No. <laughs> None of this is happening in Venezuela. I, I've left Venezuela when I was uh, in my teenage years, 15, 16 years old. I have still family in Venezuela. This has happened to me now that I live in the United States. Uh, this, is, this is what I love about this country is that um, we have so much innovation when it comes to food, uh, and it goes from innovation to market in record time in this country. And uh, that's what I absolutely adore about walking into a supermarket and saying, Oh my goodness, look at this, these new flavors, look at this new texture, look at this whole new kind of way of, uh, of serving food. Yeah, well, I mean, you follow that through with some of these other brands. Uh, Peter uh, is absolutely, insanely hooked on your uh, the tahini thing from Mighty Sesame Company. Yeah. The Mighty Sesame Company, again, this is, again, innovation at its best. Usually in the past, tahini for me has been this jar of tahini um, that has pretty much um, solidified in the bottom, and the oil has separated, and now you've got to go in with a spoon and try to mix it. <laughs> you have chunks of tahini that you're trying to get into the, the bubba ganoush or the hummus that you're making. I absolutely hated it. And the moment I saw Mighty Sesame, Sesame Tahini in my supermarket, I was like, Finally, so Mighty Sesame Tahini, um, they pretty much, you have a squeezable bottle of tahini in there. So imagine being able to always be able to turn the bottle upside down. It has a cap that you just pop open, and you squeeze out the tahini yeah. to make your favorite recipe. Peter loves it. I mean, you know, I, I think we had a short period of time when we were out of it, and uh, he didn't know what to do. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I do with it, George. And it worked marvelously the first time, and the second time, and the third time. Imagine that you're using, that you're cooking a fillet of salmon. Yeah, he uses it on that. Okay, so so what so what I do is I I put sprink I sprinkle black lime powder on what's going to be the underside, and then and it stays there. And then, and then I continue on with the cooking process. But the, the, the tahini comes in when I'm finishing the, the dish. I paint the, the, what, what is actually the top now of the, of the salmon with tahini. Okay, people love it. And, oh, and, and imagine, I can imagine you broiling that a little bit and toasting it up almost. You know, one thing that I like to use the Mighty Sesame Tahini for is a simp- something as simple as chicken burgers. I literally grill oh, yeah. some chicken burgers, or exactly. sometimes you find the frozen chicken patties, and then I just, like you said, squeeze some of that tahini right on top of it. Um, I feel like tahini um, is like the new mayo. Now, I think yeah, like, I mean, it really is kind of, I mean, it's a staple in our refrigerator, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, and I it's just a, sesame seeds. That's all it is. Right. I, I have, George, I, I have a barbecue tool that called, funny enough, it's called orca. But what, what, <laughs> it's shaped what, like an orca. orca. Orca is made of some kind of... Silicon. Silicon. And one end, one end, it's little like a brush. Yeah. So, you, so you brush it across the entire surface of the salmon. It's yummy. Oh Everybody loves That's it. That's delicious. It's really good. <laughs> it's his favorite new ingredient. <laughs> um, yeah, it was terrible when we ran, when we ran out of tahini. I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> you didn't know what to do. I don't know. I would be going out in the streets and screaming. I'd be like, there's no more tahini. Do you know, by the way, just as an aside, 
those little sesame seeds that everybody loves? Yes. You know, did you ever check how many calories in one of those little seeds? <laughs> Literally on one of those seeds, I, I think the body would just disintegrate that. I think there's maybe <laughs> 0.0001 calories. I highly doubt um no, it's really, it's really calorie-dense, those little seeds. I thought that was so yeah. funny. Oh, plenty of protein, lots of fiber and iron, yeah. lots oh, of essential yeah. vitamins. Um, oh. uh, I love sesame seeds. And I grew up because my parents, both of my parents, uh, were, are of Armenian descent. So, oh, okay. And they grew up in Lebanon. So um, tahini and halva and anything that was, you know, Middle Eastern, uh, Lebanese, Armenian, uh, there was a lot of tahini growing up in my household and lots of sesame-flavored foods and even pastries. Um, and if my mother was alive today, she would be enamored with Mighty Sesame. Oh, yeah. Uh, she would be absolutely enamored. It's a great company, really great. So moving right along, um, well, let, we love it. Let's go back to the drinks because... Yeah, well, that's they're, they're Wonder Melon like, and Beatology. Now, talk about unusual. You know, how did these companies think of this? The, the yeah, Wonder you know, Melon and the Beatology. Beatology is, like, fabulous. It really is. Beatology is um, the, the best of... You know, a lot of people think beets and they kind of uh, cringe sometimes and they don't know what to think of. But um, these folks at Keiko have figured out a way to make beets taste like heaven, absolute heaven. Mm -hmm. So imagine beetology naturally sweetened by the earth, um, being able to kind of combine that with uh, veggies or being able to kind of juice it enough so you have tropical fruit or lemon and ginger and cherry flavors. Instead of having my kids be drinking sodas or processed oh, yeah. Juices. I give them Beatology, and they swear that it is better than any other sweet juice they've ever had. It is refreshing. It's cold-pressed. It is delicious. And actually, there are some health benefits to consuming beets, and it's right oh, there. Oh, lots with of them. And yeah. imagine trying to juice beets at home. I mean, there is going to be just red all over the place. Beetology <laughs> does it for you. It's already done, and you have it there right in front of you. And the beauty is that it is organic beets we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I, I think we just finished the last uh, bottle of Wonder Melon. That, Peter, you loved that, didn't you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's got that little touch of, of, of uh, heat. Yeah, heat. Yeah, exactly. The little bit, the little bit of ginger ma makes a tremendous difference. It really does. So you're talking about the Wonder Melon with lemon and cayenne, which has a tiny little bit of heat to it. And then there's a Wonder Melon with a cucumber and basil as well. That's what my kids love. Um, and what I've learned throughout this summer is that I don't need to constantly be juicing and uh, trying to make juices from the fruits. Um, I can literally do a hack and use Wonder Melon juices. They're cold-pressed, of course. And I'm able to make things like sangria out of them, for example, in really? a pinch and make cocktails out of them right away. I can make mocktails. I can make margaritas with them um, because I know this is a quality cold-pressed juice that literally has like four ingredients, watermelon juice, lemon juice, apple juice, a little bit of cayenne, for example. Um, so you have minimal amount of ingredients, and you're, you're getting the juice that you want without making it a hassle of juicing something from scratch. And now you can suddenly make a hack in your kitchen and make these cocktails and mocktails and juices for your kids or for your adults uh, throughout the year. Now, am I, am I imagining this, or do you have 
some of some of your liquid you have it in six packs and they're different flavors am i remembering that correctly i believe they do sell them in six packs i'm not sure exactly the flavor profile if, if, if it's all mixed in there um but what i am seeing for example here in new york city is that every single corner store that i go to they've stocked up on wonder melon i mean it's amazing how how popular it's become and people who don't know wonder melon um, and Wonder Lemon, another brand also, uh, people don't know. They need to run out and try it for themselves because um, it's, it's not your, you know, processed sugar-laden fruit punch drinks out there. It's genuinely watermelon juice, um, and it's cold-pressed. It's fruits picked at their peak uh, freshness. Uh, it's incredibly refreshing, and it's just a touch of sweetness and tartness that comes with every bottle of Wonder Melon that I Adore and again better than soda. Forget put the soda away. Um, Wonder Melon beats soda any day on earth. I'd rather give Wonder Melon to my kids any day than soda. Yeah. Now where does where does it where does it come from? I mean, where is the it Wonder grow? Melon itself? I, you know that's a good question. I don't know where it comes from. Obviously, <laughs> because, somewhere that's a little bit what uh, kind of warmer. brand manager are you? <laughs> Yeah, I know what kind of <laughs> that's true. Um, that's a good question. I don't know where watermelon comes from. Heck, I've, I've never grown watermelon myself, so um, that's a really good question. I'm gonna have to ask and find out. Um, I just know it comes from my corner deli. I can tell you. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. That's that's another question. Is we're talking about all these wonderful and diverse products. Um, how do people access them? Can you run through them and where where they're marketed and distributed and so on? Yeah, a lot of these products you can find on Amazon. Uh, you can do a Google search for it. Like Folios Cheese Wrap, if you go to cheesefolios.com, there's a button that says where to buy, uh, and you'll find uh, all the places where it's accessible there, including things like Trader Joe's and uh, uh, Sam's Club, perhaps. I believe so. I have to remember that one. And then Mighty Sesame, the same thing, too. You, you, you go and you, do a, um, you can find it on Amazon or just uh, do the, the product search on their website at uh, Mighty Sesame Co., like company, co.com, and then Wondermelon, of course, wondermelonjuice.com. But, oh, come here to New York City, come to where I live, and I guarantee you the Corner Daily has a bunch of it. Wow. Now, George, you've done a lot of television, too. I'm, try- I'm still trying to get my head around who you are. I mean, what? how did you train? How did you get into this? Did I read you were a chef? That's correct. I studied French cuisine in France for three years, uh, but previously I had a, um, a mass, mass media communications degree, and I was on radio like you guys for many years here in New York City. So I kind of combined both of my passions of food and media, and I was able to kind of become uh, the face for food to a certain extent and be able to communicate to people um, how much um, I love them in love with uh, food. And um, it turned into a show for the Food Network for a few years early in 2006. Uh, and then I eventually graduated to uh, hosting a cake show on TLC. And now I do a lot of um, morning shows like uh, Good Morning America, um, amongst many other morning shows as well. And I'm able to kind of just um, bring in a lot of the brands on some of these shows, but also just have fun on some of the shows as well. It's not just about brand ambassadorship. So a lot of people tend to enjoy uh, the entertainment factor that I bring in with food throughout my yeah, life. Yeah, that's, but, I mean, all these profiles of you that I read list you first as a chef and second as an entertainer. That's exactly right. I, th- I feel like that's what my wife thinks of me, too, these days. She's like, <laughs> first, 
First you're my chef, and then you're my husband entertainer. Um, <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, so I have to feed her before I can make her laugh. That's what it comes out to. <laughs> well, I guess you get a lifetime supply of all these products, don't you? Well, the kids uh, are very happy, certainly, about it. Um, I am as well, because honestly, even something like, uh, let's say, cheese folios, I mean, I, we have to curb our carb intake in this house, particularly the kids with their grilled cheeses, and something like cheese folios allows me to, to do that. Like I said, I like these very unique, very thought-out ingredients uh, that come out in the markets because uh, they allow you to cut to, to cut corners or uh, kind of hack your way through the kitchen because the biggest problem in America right now in, in terms of people's kitchen is that there's a lack of time. Both parents are working and there just isn't oh, enough yeah. time to make slow food out there. And we can be as passionate as we want about food and international cuisine and all these amazing slow roasted this and that. But if you don't have the time to go in the kitchen and cook it, then what's the point of having this passion? And nobody has the time anymore. So these innovative ingredients are the ones that are going to help us get started in the kitchen and cut some corners in terms of time and be able to make delicious foods uh, that are nutritious, healthy, uh, and kind of get us jump-started, not just us, but also with our children in terms of uh, properly having good nutrition in our home instead of just popping in some frozen pizza into the microwave. Yeah, of course, I like frozen pizza. (laughs) All right, you know, once in a while you can have frozen pizza, no worries. I love pizza in general. I could eat it three meals a day, but... Amen. Peter why doesn't like us, so I don't make it. No, no, Peter. Why don't you tease our audience with a preview of what's coming next in the brands you represent? Sure, absolutely, folks. Um, this is Chef George Duran, and I want to give you a little preview of what's coming up next. We're going to be talking about cheese folios, mighty sesame tahini, and, of course, <laughs> my favorite, Wonder Melon Cold Pressed Watermelon Juice. Thank you. So watermelon is certainly having its moment in the spotlight for, for all kinds of reasons, huh? Oh, my but, goodness. Of course, it's bright, beautiful. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. I was thinking just the, the, the color and everything. Same with the beetology stuff. The color is just yeah. amazing. I've always wanted to do Easter eggs with nothing but veggies because people do that. And, of course, beets would be the first thing. Um, the red beets, you, you don't use yellow beets. Beetology, I don't think. I didn't get any yellow beets, I don't think. No, I don't think so. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be red beets. But I do love uh, yellow and orange beets uh, myself for roasting. It's less uh-huh. staining. Yeah, golden beets, I get them all the time. But um, it, it, Tell me this. I mean, is it always like you find a, a brand that intrigues you in the supermarket as you describe it? Or did they find you because of your high visibility in, in television? I would say a, a bit a combination of both. Uh, there are often times where I go into the market and I see uh, an appliance, for example, or, or, or an ingredient, and I get I get I become such a fan, and I'm like, this is innovative. I love this, and I reach out to them. I reach out to the marketing department or directly to the company itself, and I say, I want to work with you, and I work with their budget. You know, so it's not like I'm going in there and saying, you know, hey, throw me in there and pay me uh, the millions and this and that. <laughs> they don't have it. These are smaller companies, medium-sized companies, and those are the ones that I love the most. It's the smaller, medium-sized companies that are trying to. Uh, compete against the much larger ones um, 
but but for me, it's the passion that I have for that innovation and going in there and saying, look, I'll work with your budget because um, I, I am truly, genuinely, organically passionate about it, and I want to help you grow. And more often than not, I end up growing with them. I mean, that's, that's what I love about my job is that I end up growing with a lot of these companies because they see my passion, and it translates to when I speak out like to you guys or anyone else in media how much I love it. It truly, genuinely translates, and people believe it because it is true. I, have no one, I don't know how to be anything else but genuine. Well, you're wonderful, George, and, and you sure have put together an interesting career path. I must say that, um, and um, and yeah, and I think Peter was really asking you to hint at what new products we might find you being amb- ambassador for. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh-huh, I understand, Peter. Boy, Peter, you know what? Um, I'm looking forward to working with this cheese company. It's called a Dutch Masterpiece, um, oh. and they have incredibly unique cheeses out there. Um, but who knows? Maybe I will do that uh, sometime soon. I'm also uh, trying to work more with Jarlsberg cheese. It is such a wonderful, mild and nutty cheese. Um, cheese is... <laughs> Gosh, who doesn't love cheese? I mean, cheese is right. like almost the perfect food, in my opinion. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. They. Uh, we had some. Um, what what kind of? We had some interest in Dutch made Gruyere, um, but we couldn't get the timings to work. Do you know about them? I don't actually. Tell me more. Well, I mean, it's it's wonderful. We just couldn't get our dates coordinated enough about it. Um, but it's it's a it's, it's Gruyere, I mean, which has a long and fascinating history to it. And uh, I mean, I just never knew it was made any place but France. Which yes, is another absolutely. question I wanted to ask you. Since you spent serious time studying French cuisine in France. Do you think that fresh uh, French cuisine is on its way out? Never, never, ever, ever. <laughs> I would, I would be killed if I agreed to that. Um, <laughs> you know what? French cuisine is the basis of all um, sophisticated cuisines. I mean, it can't possibly be. And honestly, when I left to France to learn French cuisine, I thought I knew it all. I was like, I, I, I've read all the books. I know how to cook this and that. I didn't know anything until I really dug deep into French cuisine and I started learning all these French dishes. And the beauty of French cuisine is that it's built, it's existed for hundreds and hundreds of years for a particular reason. And, And there is no chance that that is going to die today. And I'll tell you another reason it's not going to die today is because the government, the French government particularly, they subsidize a lot of these French They do. Yeah. They pay for people to learn and keep learning these traditions, these cuisines, so it never, ever dies. And that's what I love about a lot of these European countries like Italy and France and Spain. Um, the government is there to protect that cuisine forever. As much as the corporations want to go in there and make the fast food and make life easier for everybody, and as difficult as it is to cook some of these French cuisines, at the end of the day, you're going to see a lot of culinary schools up there in these countries particularly that are going to be subsidized by the government, and that is extremely smart. Yeah, well, of course they do it with their uh, with wines and champagne and so forth as well, although I, the climate change is really uh, shaking up that whole 
uh, industry. It's, you know, it's really bad. Uh, champagne is suffering enormously. And, hey, would I ever live to see the day where they were actually growing champagne grapes and making champagne in England? <laughs> that, that, that would be quite a day. It's already here. <laughs> Check yep. it out. There's a, a company that sells nothing but um, British-made um, champagne. I mean, you can't call it champagne, sparkling wine. So, so they just it, call it sparkling wine? Yeah. They don't have a name like Prosecco? Oh, you can't, or, you can't name Cava. anything champagne that's, that's not from that region in France. Right, but the, but the Spanish call their Cava and Prosecco. Cava, yeah. and, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't, think, you can, I don't think you can use that either. Yeah. <laughs> well, George, I mean, there's so many others. You're a great conversationalist, too. I knew I was going to love talking to you. And uh, not only because I love the, your, your products that you represent, but also because you, you seem to be an every man's every man as well as an outstanding celebrity and superstar. So it's a good combination. Keep at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Ann and Peter, I could talk for days on end about food, but it's a pleasure to be on the menu. All right. George Duran, um, love all your brands and, and love talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. listeners, you're in for a treat here. If you all have the same problems that we have, it's, it's this wonderful book by Viva Whitberg called Lunchbox, 75 plus easy and delicious recipes for lunches on the go. Aviva, you've solved the major life problem for hundreds of thousands of people with this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I don't think that was my, my plan was not that ambitious going into it, but I'm thrilled to hear yeah, well, that it could do that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I still remember all the, the peanut butter sandwiches I made <laughs> with regret that I, you know, that's all I could oh. do. So, but anyhow, so um, what is it with lunches? I mean, why, why is it so hard to pack a lunch? Oh, really, lunch packing is a real pain point for parents who are doing it every single day. And as people are heading back into offices every day, uh, something about packing lunch feels like really onerous and, I don't know, so much harder than all the other meals. Um, But I think it's because we treat it differently than everything else. Like breakfast is one of those things that you can quickly throw together, and dinner is something you plan and maybe have a ritual around making. Uh-huh. Whereas, I don't know, lunch, we don't treat that way. So it's true. I mean, with this book, yeah, go ahead. But your room, and I told you already that our, our son, who packs a lunch for four every day, already put dibs on this book <laughs> when he was visiting. Uh, because it, it really is, um, I guess you, you start at the core of it uh, with strategies, Tell us some of these strategies that take the onerous out of lunch packing. So the big thing for me is planning, and it's actually the same as it is for dinner. So when I approach lunch and when I approach dinner, I look at planning, preparing, and then actually packing or putting food on a plate. 
Um, so a part of it is making a meal plans. So whether it's for a few days or if you like to plan a week or two at a time, uh, doing a little bit of prep work in advance. So, you know, roasting some vegetables or cooking some grains, grilling some chicken, uh, so that when it's actually time to pack your lunch, uh, all you need to do is put it into a lunchbox or a salad bowl, whatever you pack your lunch into. Yeah, well, that uh, to make itself things, is yeah. a big step forward if you get the right equipment. Or I don't know yeah. if you call it equipment, um, receptacles or <laughs> whatever it is yeah. you need because you now you have a lot more available now from when we had just lunch boxes. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of really great lunch gear on the market. And for sure, I used to take a lunch with a lunchbox and then eventually a paper bag with little plastic Ziploc bags. <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, that. So it's a whole new world now. Like when my kids were little, the school that they went to had uh, like zero trash policy and a oh, boomerang no. <laughs> garbage policy. So every any garbage came home again. So if there was oh, ever no. motivation to switch, that's, that's to, brilliant. Though. Like a, you're, you're in, yeah. in you're in Canada. I live in Toronto. Yeah, Toronto, which is um, one of my favorite cities, by the way. Oh, it's a great city, isn't it? A huge inspiration. Oh, it's for lots it's of so food. cosmopolitan. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. We used to cover the um, the Toronto Food and Wine Festival. We used to cover Mm -hmm. that. Really fun. So I don't know if that's back on track or not. But so, but okay. So here you have the equipment, and you 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 go through, you work through all this for people um, with your strategies. You know, I mean, you, you prepare with all the stuff that's available. And and I like that you use the freezer so much because I use the freezer like my most favorite tool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We did a lot of the book. Like there are lots of great, tons of great recipes, but a lot of it is the strategy. So at the back of the book, we set up menus for people that are new to planning or who aren't great at planning uh, to make it really easy. And then at the front of the book, there are all of the strategies around using your freezer shopping and having different ingredients on hand so that when you want to throw together a quick lunch, it's possible. Um, And a lot of it's just like I figured it out through trial and error in packing for my kids. Uh Um, You mean you noticed what came back, huh? (laughs) Oh, well, that's it. Well, that's a part of like the great part of that boomerang garbage policy I was telling you about is you knew exactly what came back because it did come back. (laughs) And if there's anything kids can be relied on is to tell you the honest truth about what was not good in their lunch. <laughs> that for sure. When I would pick my kids up at school, they just like this was not good. I'm like, all right, good to know. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I used to put little like. notes in in uh, our kids' box, lunch box. But you go a step further. I mean, I wouldn't have had the the um, stamina or even thoughtfulness about shaping bread into hearts. I mean, you made it look oh. so pretty. It's so much pretty stuff in this fully photographed book. Oh, thank you. So a lot of that was around strategy, and I do it less so now that my kids are teenagers. And for my husband and I, who work a combination of in the office and remotely, um, but when my kids were little, they went through these phases where they would stop eating sandwiches if they were on regular bread, but if you cut them into a shape, all of a sudden it was a brand new thing. And the same with vegetables. I remember 
you know, carrots were not great, but if you cut carrots into flowers, which was just a matter of like going down the length of a carrot, they're just like, oh, these are so good. I'm like, oh, great. You know? So sometimes it's just a matter of mixing it up, you know, so that your kids will still eat, you know, a mix of stuff. You, you kind of try to touch all bases. You have these icons for, for everything. I can't even imagine what you don't have here. Um, you, you have quick and easy, vegetarian, vegan, not uh, hot food for cold weather, cold food for hot weather, great for kids. You have all these little things through. Everybody can find something in this book, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That thank you for noticing that detail. So I had I worked with a great and very talented book designer who helped, you know, sort of translate my ideas for organizing the book into something that looked great. And I think that's important. Like the weather has just started changing in Toronto. So this morning it was like a little chilly. So my kids took hot food to school. And it's a nice thing, especially if they, you know, have a warm lunch and then go out, you know, for a walk. Uh, Where it's cold, they're sort of warm from the inside out. So it's the way I approach lunch packing. And I thought it could be helpful for other people too. Well, you have some insights, though, that do not readily come to mind. Like when you say, Make it accessible. Be sure your kids can open up the lunch boxes. <laughs> I mean, does anybody even think about that? But it's true, isn't it? Oh, it is, and especially this is one of those things you see on like Facebook groups in the fall, where kids uh-huh. or parents have bought you know brand new beautiful lunch boxes, send their you know four and five year olds to school, and discover their kids can't open them, and there isn't <laughs> enough staff on hand to open it for them. And in my own hands-on experience, I can remember sending my kids with thermoses of food. And you know how sometimes when you pack hot food, you end up getting like a vacuum seal on uh-huh. the thermos jar. And oh, they couldn't open them. Everywhere. So they'd come home starving. You'd be like, I oh, couldn't yeah. open my lunch. Um, so, yeah, you have to be really mindful and practice with little kids at home uh, and know who your kids are. I know one of my kids loves to read and cannot put down a book or not open a book because she's so curious to see what's inside. But if there is a container with a lid, uh, inside of her lunchbox, she won't open it. So I know that for her, it needs to be like all laid out for her. Otherwise, it won't get eaten. Oh, well, I mean, you, you include creative things that I would never have even thought of, like Packing a frittata. I never would have occurred to me to pack a pack of sweet potato and onion for frittata. But yeah, that holds up. Yeah, frittata. So well. Yeah, eggs are like a great inexpensive source of protein. And frittatas are great to use leftover vegetables. If you roasted a bunch of vegetables, you can throw them in. Um, And it makes for a really nice sandwich. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's yeah, my kids take that, you know, kind of a variation on that all the time. Or I'll make a big frittata for dinner, and the leftovers get packed on a bun for lunch the next day. See, that's a great yeah. idea. I mean, just yeah. leftovers. My favorite food is leftovers. Oh, the best. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did kids still trade off things from their lunch boxes? So do you know what I think? So our schools in Ontario, the province I live in, I don't allow kids to trade food because of food allergies. So we can't oh, have things like nuts. Yeah, like nuts and seeds uh, aren't allowed at most of our schools. Um, now that my kids are older, um, those rules don't exist. They ask us to be mindful about sending nuts. 
but in high school, for sure, there's some training. And I know that I definitely packed, you know, sort of an extra muffin or a few extra dumplings <laughs> and things like that for my kids' friends uh, growing up, who I knew I didn't need to be concerned about allergies. Uh, but that's changed, that whole, like, subculture of, you know, the kind of underground marketplace of lunchbox trading, I think, is gone because of the uh, focus on keeping kids with allergies safe in the classroom. Yeah. Now, Rabbit, you never, I'm talking to Peter, you never yeah. packed a lunch, did you? No, we used to have, we used to have school meals. He grew up oh, in the nice north of England. So the, the, okay. so the whole school was catered by the lunch ladies for lunch. It's, it's really funny, there was, a, there was a TV program produced in Britain that had that as its theme. I can't the remember if the name. The name was the lunch ladies. It was. It was. That was. That was their name. That's what they did every day. They produced yeah. really ugly food. <laughs> That's right. My mum grew up. My mum is from Scotland and well, had the she, same. Then she, got, then she got. It's the same. <laughs> she got. She got the same thing. Huh? Yeah, there's still things she won't eat to this day. Because <laughs> <laughs> of her association with school lunches, then. You know, you have some ideas in here that um, it just never even occurred to me at all. I wonder how you think these up. I mean, who would think that sesame noodles would actually make a, a nice packed lunch? Oh, so they're great, and they're really nice because you can eat them, like, cold or room temperature, so it's, like, perfect for a lunchbox. But I think, what, like I was saying before, I live in Toronto, and it is this amazing multicultural city and really like up the street from my house there are restaurants uh from all over the world and so i'm really inspired by the food we eat around the city and the food i've eaten when i've traveled Uh, and i'm always making notes if i've eaten something good uh of something i want to try to make when i get home yeah i mean the food's incredible in toronto i think yeah Um, yeah you you have have to have adventurous kids for some of these i mean I, I can't see Moroccan spice stew passing muster with a lot of kids. So, you know, my kids, I'm really lucky. My kids are curious in general mm-hmm. and curious about food. So we haven't had big battles around that. Um, mm-hmm. They've definitely gone through phases of liking things and not liking things. Um, but for the most part, they're easy. But I attribute that to them being them and not to anything we've done as parents. Um, mm-hmm. It's just who they are. No, right. you have a whole you have a whole section, page after page after page, of what you call hand pies. Tell our listeners first of all, what, what the hell is a hand pie? <laughs> so a hand pie is a pie you eat in your hand, and it makes use of puff pastry, which I once read was the queen of the kitchen. And <laughs> I love puff pastry because you just buy it at the supermarket. We get boxes with you know like a couple of sheets. Uh, that are rolled up, frozen, uh, and they're great because you can, you know, cut those sheets out and fold something delicious into them and bake them. And from a lunch packing perspective, they're really great because you can make those little hand pies up and pop them in the freezer unbaked and then bake them the day you're going to pack them for lunch. Now, am, I reading, chap- correct, am I reading correctly? Mm. So, some of them are fruit types, some of them are sweet, and some of them are savory. That's right. We have, I think, the first recipe, the first and the last recipe in the book is a ham pie. So the first one is a bacon, egg, and cheese ham pie, 
And the very last one is a fruit-filled sweet ham pie. And the ones in the middle, the chapters of warm bowls and ham pies, are things that you could eat on top of grains, so like a, like a stew uh, or like a thick, hearty sauce, or that you could fold into puff pastry and eat in your hands. Um, and the way I use those at home is I'll make the kind of stew or soup, have it one way for dinner, and have the leftover folded into, or pack that and folded into hand pies for my kids for lunch. And they, so it's like a leftover, but transformed. So, so a Cornish pasty from yeah, part exactly. of England, part of England where my brother yeah. lives. That, oh, would, that, that would that would be a hand pie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. These are not as not as fancy. They're <laughs> much faster, but definitely delicious. Yeah, and lunch must be a thing right now because I, I got another book. I haven't cracked it yet. Called the Dictator Lunch. I have to, I'll let you know what that's about. Yeah, I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do know about that book. That is a great book for younger kids, for especially uh, geared to kids' lunches. Whereas my book focuses on lunch for everyone, um, because there are oh, lots yeah. of adults that take lunch to work all the time, and especially I think we're a little bit behind the U.S. and Canada as the offices are reopening. People are heading back to work and. You know, since offices shut down before the pandemic, food prices have gone up, and so maybe oh, more yeah. mindful of their food spend and are packing lunch. So uh-huh. there are lots of ideas uh, for people like that who want to take lunch with them. So um, basically, you think that this will translate into less creative food um, cities? I think it's really for anyone, and all the food, uh, I think, is very accessible. Um, we've marked things that are good for that are traditionally good for kids, but the reality is, my kids ate everything in that book, and lots of. And I think kids, I think we underestimate how much stuff kids will eat, and kids are pretty savvy now with exposure to, like, food TV and food on social media. So that I think that this book is great for anyone anywhere. And one of the things I did, actually, thanks to the pandemic, was I set up. Uh, online grocery shopping accounts all over North America uh, to oh, be yeah. sure that all of the ingredients were available. So I could go to a supermarket in Texas or in Florida or in California and be sure that every ingredient in the book was easy for people to order. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. That's interesting. No, I, yeah, it I, was great. Yeah. I saw one, one word that stood out. And, and I never got a chance to follow it all the way through the book, but there was one of your, I guess, planned planned meals called goat, and I thought, goat, goat, greatest of all time. Does, 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 does she mean what I think she means? It wouldn't be goat, although one of my kids loves goat curry. <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> Well, we like you it, too. you have to let me know which one that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was, it was in among the pages in the back where, where, you, oh. where, you, where you had the suggested meals for d- different meal times. I think it was, anyway. Um, okay. Right. Maybe, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm dreaming. <laughs> well, you, you have a lot of things to stock that... Um, People would not ordinarily stalk, 
but with a little effort, they can really jazz up the, the lunches. I like mm-hmm. the fig and balsamic onion jam. You know, you can buy that ready-made. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are all kinds of things you can buy now that would take a lot of the pressure off of you. Yeah, and I think it's important. Like, I know I, I have recipes for different dips, like hummus, uh, yeah. in the book. But there's no reason that you can't, and I certainly do, buy hummus at the supermarket all the time because it is really convenient and it's really fast. And it's, in fact, what my kids ate for lunch yesterday, um, which was like pita and hummus and a bunch of veggies. Um, because that is a really um, like fast lunch to pack and of stuff that you can just pull out of the fridge or freezer. So there's no reason to not take shortcuts when they're available. Another thing that seemed to me like a sort of a trap was making soups and sending mm-hmm. sending your child to school with soup. Seems like that's got the opportunity to be really messy. <laughs> so I send my kids with soup all the time. So my younger daughter loves soup and will come home and eat soup all the time. Uh, my older daughter is not as big a fan, um, but uh, yeah, the soup is actually a really great thing for lunch because you can make it ahead of time and then freeze it. And I use these really great silicone trays uh, that have one cup uh, cavities yeah, in them. That, so yeah. it, you know, yeah, freezes okay. it in kind of like bricks. Okay. And so, so I just defrost so two cups and put it into a thermos for her. So you cut the co- you cut the corner by f- by by having it already frozen. That's it, yeah, because you're not going to make soup. And a lot of lunch making is really sort of lunch assembly. Um, I don't start cooking on a Monday morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, I just want to <laughs> be able to pack stuff, right? So um, that's just not possible. You know, there's too much going on of getting kids to school and logging on for work. Um, so, yeah, I'll pop out, you know, a couple of bricks of soup into a pot while they're making breakfast. And uh, and then send my kids out to out to uh, school with them. Now, what's the what, what's the reaction of all the other kids who don't, don't aren't fortunate enough to have you as a mother? <laughs> oh, so yeah. Well, they have really good parents. Well, <laughs> I just pack lunch. So you know, I think kids are really sweet about it, um, and will say nice things. And some of my eldest daughter's friends have bought my book, which was like such a nice surprise. Um, oh. So that they can pack their own lunches, and when they head away to university next year, they'll actually be well equipped with the book to help them through like sort of easy meal making. Um, and yeah, and every so often I'll get like a note from a lunchroom supervisor, like especially when my kids were little, who had seen my kids lunch at lunchtime, and will say something nice. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I mean they're pretty. That's something that you value a lot, and. There's no question the photographs are, are pretty. I mean, I, I don't think I ever yeah. saw an lunch this pretty. <laughs> Some of the ones you've had. These are like photographs for a book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's important to make your food look appetizing. I remember the name of the program now I was talking about earlier on. It was called The Dinner Ladies. Okay. The Dinner Ladies, okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, did, did you, have, you didn't have picky eaters, obviously, because that's, when you, how many lunches did you pack at once? And like when I was doing the book itself? No, I mean or, when you were raising your kids and packing lunches. My kids really have almost always eaten everything. Um, yeah. And so 
this is all stuff that was accessible for them. And, you know, certainly there were strategies. And I talk a bit about this in the book. When they were little, they only had about 20 minutes to eat lunch. And so I didn't pack them stuff they needed a fork to eat because it would just slow them down. So I would stick to things they could use their fingers and eat. So like sandwiches or hand pies, dumplings, stuff that they could like quickly get a lot of energy from in just a few bites. Mm-hmm. Um, but my kids, yeah, and it took a little while for sure for them to love salad. And I don't know if that was about like all of their teeth growing in. Um, now they enjoy it, but certainly when they were under 10, you know, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't not eat salad, but they wouldn't choose salad. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but you, you could make pretty much, I mean, like, you'd make how many lunches at a time, or do you make all the same lunch, or do, do you, my, my problem was everybody had individual tastes. Yes. So I would do, I try to pack both of them the same lunch every day, and I pack lunch fresh every day, um, or the night before. Uh, and for my kids, one of them, oh, so the, the biggest complication for me is one of my kids was, or is vegetarian, the other one was not, uh, but had a dairy allergy. And so I had to be careful about not mixing <laughs> so up a cheese sandwich. Yeah, yeah no, which you, you, you had issues, yeah. For you, sure, you, so there's a bit of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I think that's sure. pretty common now, I, I think, anyhow. But, well, anyhow, I, it's been a delight talking to you. And uh, again, listeners, this is Aviva Wittenberg, and her book is called Lunchbox. And I, I'll tell you, you'll, you'll want to transport yourself back to elementary school and to get some of these gorgeous lunches that she's packing for her kids or packed for her kids who are now all grown pretty much. Are you working on anything new, Viva? Uh, no, this is just finished. I, I work um, like a regular job during the day, so that keeps me busy. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what comes back. Great. Well, good luck to you and keep us posted. And we really enjoyed talking to you. It's a delightful book. Thank you again. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you.